Hey, Sally. <laughs> hey, Nick. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get deja vu? Um, yes. Because I just, I have the strangest feeling that you and I recorded this whole episode already. Isn't that weird? It is weird. It's kind of like a horror movie. It honestly. is like a horror movie because I would swear we did it. It feels like almost like there was some horrible technological problem that means we have to do it all over again. So but that just, never happens. Just so it eerie. Could possibly be that. It's just an eerie, <laughs> an eerie scenario. Thanks for tuning into House Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library recorded right here in Wellsville, New York. I'm Nick Gunning, and I am joined by the reigning queen of Halloween and the director of the Fred and Harriet Taylor Memorial Library in Hammondsport, Sally Jacoby Murphy. Hey, Sally, what's up? Not much. I'm here. I'm excited. What is this, year seven? Is is. that what we're on? Halloween now seven. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just so happy that I was at the birth of your reign as the queen of Halloween because... Because I feel like it was just an off-the-cuff comment in Halloween Now 2 where we declared you the Queen of Halloween. And now, just like Alexander the Great before you, your queendom has grown to not only include the All the Books show, but now house things, plus this Endorian life, and the previously on X-Men podcast. That's four different podcasts in which you are the Queen of Halloween. Yeah, which, I mean, I'm not sure I deserve such an honor, but I'm sure happy that I have it. I think, uh, you, I think you do deserve it. I think you're being modest. Oh, thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, well. Yeah. How uh, many podcasts did Alexander the Great do? Not enough. Oh. Certainly not enough. We know that for sure. <laughs> I just really want to beat him. That's the point. I think that's good. I think that's good. Things didn't, things didn't end so great for Alexander the Great. Just, just, yeah. be, just be aware of that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, lofty goals, lofty goals. Today, Sally and I are going to be talking about Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House. It's the Library Book Club selection here for October at the David A. Howe. So we're looking forward to discussing that later in the week. But Sally and I are going to dig into it all today. But before we do that, let's open our spooky Halloween books and see where our bookmarks are at. All right, hit me, Sally. What do you got? What do you got, spooky reading? Well, I don't have enough spooky reading, to be honest. Mm. Um, But I did obviously read The Haunting of Hill House, which I quite enjoyed, um, but we'll talk about more later. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, however, for previously on X, read um, a spooky X-Men comic. It's an X-Men Dracula crossover. And I don't read a lot of comic books, uh, so this was sort of a new or a not oft traversed path for me, and I loved it. It was super great. So that was enjoyable. Um, and then other than that, uh, so not super spooky, but I'm reading I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, uh, oh, okay. which is a YA book. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. finished the book Unorthodox, and I'm about to start A Long Petal of the Sea. So that's where my bookmark's at. Did you say A Long Petal of the Sea? Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't started so it that's, yet. <laughs> that's part of the mystery. Okay. Well, uh, in non-Halloween reading, I finished a historical fiction called Radar Girls. And this was one that I picked up basically because of the cover. I had read one a couple months back that was called Exile Music that was also a historical fiction and seemed sort of in the same vein. And so I was kind of expecting a little bit of like historical fiction light, which I do enjoy sometimes. Um, and this was set during World War II, it was set in Hawaii when women were kind of drafted into the service following the events of Pearl Harbor. So I was excited to read that. Not really what the book was, though. The book was, I don't even know, because it didn't feel even like slice of life Hawaii in the 40s. It was just kind of, I don't know. It, was, it just wasn't very good. I don't know. It wasn't good historical fiction, and I didn't really find the characters all that interesting. There's a romance hmm. that kind of... Like romance and family secrets is maybe a little bit more of the focus, but I don't really even think it nailed those. So I, I wish I could recommend it, but I can't. Exile music, though, great. I do recommend that. Uh, Wonder Woman is celebrating her 80th anniversary. Are you a Wonder Woman fan, Sally? I mean, I'm not sure I could call myself a fan, but I appreciate Wonder Woman. Okay. Well, I I read a collection of uh, digital first issues. So the DC app, DC Infinite, I think is what it's called now. They've started doing these that are only on the app. And then they later would kind of collect them into trade paperbacks. So this is the first collection of that, though I read them digitally. It's called Wonder Woman, Agent of Peace. 
And it was okay. It was a mixed bag. This is like really standalone Wonder Woman stories. It's not like heavy, dense continuity kind of stuff. It's just like, here's what Wonder Woman's doing today. And normally I would like that, but this ended up being more of like a team-up book. And it's hard to team up someone with Wonder Woman because she's like a god. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm not the target audience, I guess, for like, what if Wonder Woman and Harley Quinn hung out? I don't care is the answer. Like mm. I don't think Wonder Woman would have a good time and I didn't either. <laughs> so that's what I read for that. Yeah. Spooky reading. So as, as you'll remember, do you remember Eric Mickles? Do you remember him? He's real tall, kind of lanky. Oh, well, yeah. Does that sound yeah. familiar? Okay. Okay. He'd be like, I hate Stephen King. He writes so long. Sort like of. That, that kind know. of stuff. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric. So Eric and I have been reading a Halloween book together every year for a, like, I feel like 10 years now, a long time before we even started doing the that old book impressive. show. Yeah. And it was his pick this year. And he chose one called Cycle of the Werewolf, which is not a really well-known Stephen King and I feel like the movie adaptation, which is called Silver Bullet, is a little bit more, like, people are aware of that. But mm. Cycle of the Werewolf is a novella that takes you, like, January through December as these werewolf attacks sort of increase. And then, like, the werewolves, it just keeps, it keeps going. So by the end, everything's kind of coalesced into one. They start as sort of individual incidents and gradually just get a little bit more layered and a bit more connected. I thought it was really effective. Like Eric and I agreed that it was like, it has a job to do and it does it. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not chocked full of stuff you don't mm -hmm. care about as we learned Christine was yes. last year. <laughs> it's like, get to the point, this werewolf is harassing this town. And it, it builds to a good conclusion. It's all very believable. And you're just sort of like in and out, one and done. And it was, mm -hmm. it was pretty cool. I mean, that does sound interesting. I think I've said this before, but definitely Christine would have been better had it been a novella. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stephen King is good at that kind of thing. The one weird thing about this was that it, it was illustrated. And while mm. some of the illustrations were kind of mixed in, there was illustrated plates that were full color, but those fell in really unfortunate places because mm -hmm. I think every time one of those happened, it would kind of depict the werewolf attack but you'd get that page with the illustration on it before that part of the story hit. Oh. And it was just like, why would you do that? Like, if you're going to choose one or the other, choose after because you're just spoiling yeah. the story. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> it was it was really bizarre. And I was reading an original print and Eric's was like a, like a 2018 or something. So it's like, you had 40 years to figure this out. <laughs> just, but no, they were focused on other things. Just do it. So anyway... <laughs> that was our that was our joint Stephen King, and it was pretty good. Nice. Uh, not deep. It's not a super deep, you know, like character study like The Shining or something like that. But it is just like mm. crisp, quick Halloween fun. So mm. check it out. I also read Archie's Halloween Blowout: Rise of the Monsters. As you know, Sally, my Archie fandom goes way back, and Archie Halloween is also a longstanding tradition I have. Yes, which I did not realize that Archie like yearly had a Halloween episode. <laughs> they do. They do. They have like they, they have digests that are specifically like packed with Halloween stories. They have these special like digital only collections that that do um, Archie stories like throughout the ages. You know that mm. that cover different Halloween things. But there's also a pretty strong Archie horror subgenre. Mm. So there's like Afterlife of Archie, which is like a zombie thing. There's um, Jughead the Hunger. Somehow it's Veronica and Vampire Dracula. I, it's like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's that, I, Vam, Vampron, I don't know. But there's a Veronica Vampire one too. So Archie Horror is its own, it's its own thing, Sally. So maybe some year we can yeah. do that instead of- I'd uh, be totally down. Okay, all right. Yeah. I did want to say, uh, this is going back to The Shining, but I heard a fun new theory today. So there's like all these theories on The Shining, right? Both on Stephen King's version of The Shining and then the adaptation that Kubrick did for the big screen. Yeah. And there's all these like theories as to why this happens and like why the hotel sort of turns on them and like all this stuff. But I heard a new one today and it is that while it appears that we are sort of this um, outside looking in view we're actually uh experiencing the entire shining through the eyes of wendy and so 
Hmm. Uh, she is slowly going crazy. So it's not actually Jack Nicholson's character or uh, what's his name? Is his name Jack? Yeah. Jack, Jack Clarence um, in the book. Yeah. yeah. He's not the one who's actually descending into madness. It's actually her. And so oh. the more she tries to convince herself that like he's the one going crazy, the more things spiral out of her control, which explains why she, a lot of the weird things that happen tend to happen to Wendy. She's the one that sees the twins for the first time in the book. Hmm. There's a there's a long wormhole of YouTube videos <laughs> you can go down and explore this theory, but I always think shining theories are kind of fun because they sure, can go anywhere. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that documentary, right? Yes, yes. That is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's very convincing to that documentary. It is. And I, what is that called? Room 237 or something like that? Yeah, room okay. something. Yeah, what, whatever it is in the movie versus book, I always confuse them. But yeah, I watched that and I started being like, this is stupid. And then like the more I got in, I was kind of like, huh, Maybe. There, there is a lot of imagery that does imply that now that you say it. So it is, it's an interesting watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm winding down my Halloween reading with a, a, a vintage comic book collection called uh, Showcase Presents the Phantom Stranger. So the Phantom Stranger is kind of a mystical character from vintage DC. And, and these are, it's more like an anthology. It's standalone, sort of spooky, sometimes Twilight Zone-esque stories that um, the Phantom Stranger is kind of almost like the watcher. Like he does, he does participate sometimes. Like he does actually affect things that are going on, but it's more like the Phantom Stranger is there to observe and occasionally he'll intervene. So it's really cool. It's just like kooky vintage comic stuff, not unlike your Night Screams X-Men uh, that you just watched. So uh, huh. I'm, I'm doing that. I'm reading one called The Night of the Scaredy Crows with my son. Love that. That's, uh, he loves, he loves, well, I think you've read, you've read Wolf Boy by uh, Art Baltazar and Franco. You've read those yeah. comics like back in the day. Yeah, same guys. Same guys oh, who, nice. uh, who did this Night of the Scaredy Crows. Uh, but other than that, Sally, I'm, I'm climbing my own personal Everest, which is Dune by Frank Herbert. And I, I am stoked. I'm, I'm rounding Sorry. third. I'm rounding third on this, <laughs> Sally. Uh, and it's only because I feel that I've made a commitment to your wife. I, yeah. I, must, I must continue because she first borrowed my copy. And then I was like, well, if you're going to read it, I'll read it. And I've doomed myself to reading Doom. You've doomed yourself to doom. Doomed to doom. Yeah, there it is. There it is. And I, yeah, that's a become a weirdly big thing in our household. Yeah, uh, you let her borrow yeah. those original, very cool copies yeah. of Doom, uh, and she got obsessed with it. And yeah. she is not. I should caveat this with: she is not a big sci-fi person. Yeah. But what for whatever reason, Dune has done it for her, and she has been walking around the house being like. The Quezox Haderach. Yep. Things yep. I don't understand. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, Sarah's Sarah's going to be on. Sarah's never been on the podcast before. Sally's wife, Sarah Jacoby Murphy, is going to be on yeah. the podcast in the next episode, and we're going to be talking all about Doom. And I'm excited because, like, as I mean, maybe you're not yeah. aware of this, but Sarah's brilliant, for one. <laughs> um, and she and I always have a good time talking about books. So I'm really interested to see her take on Dune because it is so weird. It's like it's like a book that doesn't want you to read it, you know. So yeah. it's a it's a strange it's a strange situation. But anyway, uh, that's that's my that's my bookmark this time around. Let's talk a little bit about Halloween viewing. Yes. So give me give me a couple of the of your uh, your greatest hits here for twenty twenty one. Oh golly. Okay. Well, I had a real focus on foreign horror this year. Okay. Um, which is largely because a lot of our streaming platforms uh, have embraced foreign horror for the yeah. first time. I'm really excited about. I feel like Netflix just finally discovered that if they put the best from like whatever blockbusters are coming out in all these other countries that like we'll also watch it. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Squid Games is on that list and mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so like if you haven't heard of Squid Games, I don't know how to help you. Um, <laughs> But it's a Korean series. It's about 10 episodes long, and it's sort of a futuristic a la Hunger Games kind of situation, but it's set now in, like, the world we exist in. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's great. It's really well cast and well made. Um, it's really interesting and fun, but it is super bloody. Uh, so note that. Okay. Um, 
Other ones, though, I watched one called Cadaver, which is a Norwegian horror film. Cool. No, thanks. I've read some Norwegian thrillers, <laughs> and that alone, it's like, they're so dark. I mean, I'm they sure not, not everything to come out of Norway is dark, but that, no, when you look at, like, you know, specifically that sort of thing, I feel like it does tend to have a darker twist. Oh, yeah. No, I I mean, I feel like these are people that exist half their lives in literal darkness. Um, <laughs> plus, like, they're Scandinavian, and I think, like, they're just cold all the time. They live in these, like, obscure, rocky areas. I don't know. I mean, we have this um, sort of, like, assumption about even Minnesota and stuff, <laughs> where a lot of Norwegians <laughs> settled. So I feel like there's something to the fact that Scandinavians are indeed dark. Okay. Um, it's like Germans are sort of like dark, but all in a different way. I don't know. Mm, mm. But anyway, so Cadaver is about uh, a family. They're starving and they go to this mansion for this party and they all wear these masks and then like horror unfolds. And I found it really interesting. Hmm. So... But yeah, I mean, I've been watching a lot of these foreign horror films. I've also been noticing that Zoom horror is a big deal these days. Sure, Um, yeah. There were a few of these in the last 10 years that were popular, like the movie Unfriended Mm -hmm. um, or the movie Searching. Yeah, Um, Eric and I saw Searching in theaters when we were at some conference or something. We were like, oh, hey, let's go watch Searching. And it was pretty good. We also saw Dr. Sleep. Uh, at a conference, which I know you still have not done your due diligence in watching, but I... I'm very sorry. This is my annual plea (laughs) where I tell you to watch Dr. Sleep. Yes. Okay. I'll write it down. Okay. (laughs) So this year, a movie called Host came out, uh, and that one, there's a bunch of scientists that get together and they try to declare what the scariest movie is by getting a bunch of people and putting heart monitors on them and like rating their pulse while they watch them. Okay. And there's a lot of debate around this because it doesn't always uh, come up with what horror fans think is actually the scariest movie. Okay. But this year, so Sinister had been, the 2012 film had been the reigning champion, which I actually agree with. I think Sinister is terrifying, but Host uh, replaced it and I disagree with that. Mm. So I downloaded the app Shudder for the first time, which is my new obsession. I, and let me just say, it shocks me that you've never had the app Shudder. I mean, how how are you not like on the splash page of those being like, hi, I'm Sally Jacoby Murphy. This is my world. I was a little misled, I feel like, because I kept seeing the advertisements for Shudder and it just looked to me like a bunch of art students uh, senior projects on like a page and I was like I don't really want to watch that I mean I'm all for like homegrown horror but not if it comes to the cost of me wasting hours and hours watching these like art house films so but I finally downloaded it and I watched Toast and it is enjoyable it is worth a watch it is creepy but it is not the scariest movie of all time Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah okay And lastly, I will leave you with, I watched this movie right after we recorded last year. I'm thinking of ending things. And I think about it once a week. With with Jesse Plemons, right? Where they, a couple goes to like visit his parents. Yeah, that is a mind bending movie. Yep. And it's ambiguously classified as horror because it's not, you know, gory or anything like that. But it is surreal and it is freaky and weird. It's upsetting. I think think it's upsetting. Yeah. Upsetting. But I think about it constantly. And so (laughs) if you haven't seen that yet, you should see it and then you should contact me and we should talk about it. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think that's a great plan. Um, Mine dwarfs in, in comparison to yours. And I really haven't watched anything that I would highly recommend. We watched this movie called The Innkeepers, which is on Peacock. And the premise was cool. And actually, most of the movie was really entertaining. It was about these two who work at a creepy old inn that's, like, getting ready to get closed down um, forever. And so they've already closed most of the floors and stuff. And it's just, like, they're trying to prove there's ghosts before they close it down. And so there's a lot of, like, I don't know, there's genuinely scary moments. But when you really get down to it, they show too much. And you just can't come back Mm -hmm. from it. It's just... It's a big problem. Like, as soon as you see what the big thing is about, like, my wife and I both just, like, laughed out loud because it's just goofy. It was like SNL, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, so it didn't, it didn't really work. It's too bad because so much of the movie we were really enjoying. 
Um, mm. I watched The Legend of Hell House, which often gets compared, I don't think favorably, to The Haunting of Hill House. This is based on a Richard Matheson story, and it is about people who go to investigate, like supernatural investigators go to this haunted house and try to get to the bottom of what's going on. That's another one that, like, you're in suspense. It's not really scary, but it's really intriguing and interesting. And you get to the end, and there's just, like, a big summation. Like, this is what's going on. This is why. And you're just like, shut up. Like, you've just ruined this movie by talking about this so much. So mm. it was one we kind of walked away from, and we're like, meh. Mm. Uh, but then TV series-wise, so we... We got. We've been trying to get back into the show Angel, spinoff of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. We were watching that pretty regularly, and then we just like stopped. And so mm. I was like, "Hey, let's try Angel again." So we picked it right back up, and it's fun. I don't know. I don't know how long we'll go this time, but I do enjoy it. So we're watching that, and we just started the Shining miniseries with Stephen Weber, mm-hmm. the one that is um, like written by like Stephen King wrote the teleplay, and it's supposed to be a more faithful adaptation of the book. Hmm. off to an okay start we haven't really gotten any of the scares yet it's all just kind of set up but I feel like it it mimics Kubrick's style a little too much and you're just like don't do this on network television like don't try to it's a weird move so I do I'm intrigued in some of the choices that are making and I'm looking forward to finishing it but I'm nervous that it's going to suck that it's going to suck (laughs) understandable yeah i will say as far as like series is concerned i gave american horror stories so there's american horror story that's been going on for like 12 years now Mm -hmm. um but they the same folks ryan murphy and that crew have done uh more like a individual episode oh there it's more sort of more a la black mirror or something like that okay um and it's actually pretty decent. So if folks are a fan of American Horror Stories or or Black Mirror or anything like that, it's worth a shot. And I think Ryan Murphy has a lot of lo- lost a lot of trust, but <laughs> go back to it just for this. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition to some book news here. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. I thought we would take a look at some scary horror books coming out in 2021 in case you really want to get freaked out. So we're going to be looking at an article that was originally posted on culturedvultures.com. This is by Nat Wassel. And the, and the uh, article is called 10 New Horror Books to Scare Your Pants Off in 2021. So I'm going to get it rolling with In Darkness, Shadows Breathe by Catherine Cavendish came out back in January. Uh, this says, Nessa and Carol, two women from the same town, are thrown together by their proximity to the old asylum. Okay, problem number one. You don't want to... You don't, want to, you don't want to be in close proximity to an old asylum. Uh, and the women who seems to be haunting them both, Lydia Warren Carmody, the line between reality and dreams will be blurred, and it's a battle for their very own bodies. Ugh. I mean, I love a good asylum story, so I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Number two, The Children God Forgot by Graham Masterson. A young woman births a monster, an engineer engineer fleeing a dark tunnel underneath London sees a group of ghostly children. Two police officers are confronted with the dead coming back to life in the sewers of London. If you agree with me that scary kids are the worst part of any horror, you might love or hate this book in equal measure. How do you feel about scary kids and horror? I feel neutral about scary kids and horror. Neutral. Okay. All right. Yeah. Number sometimes three. they're great, sometimes they're not, but they yeah. don't, in their inherence, freak me out, so. <laughs> okay, got it. Number three, Tainted Love, a women in horror anthology. Yes. Let's see. You, you're, you're on board? Okay. Yes. The anthology <laughs> contains 14 stories, which explores the ways in which love can go wrong and the wounds it can leave. Some of the highlighted stories include one of an artist who discovers too late the danger of painting her muse, or a boy finding out how deadly a birthday wish can be. If you're new to horror, you might enjoy dipping in and out of this anthology. Again, that's from culturedvultures.com. Excellent. Uh, Four, A Broken Darkness by Prami Mohammed. Nick Prasad is putting his life back together after the anomaly, when the things from beyond tried to force their way into our world. Ooh. Hmm. Interesting. That, that, uh, just based on that alone, sounds a little Stranger Things-esque. That's true. Yeah. A little bit like parallel university darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Number five, Whispers Down the Lane by Clay McLeod Chapman. 
Let's see. Richard is a man without a past, newly married and teaching art at an elementary school when a murdered rabbit. Can you murder a rabbit? I mean, you can kill a rabbit. Can you murder it? Is my question. That's a really profound question. I mean, if I feel like you and I are both vegetarians now, Nick, I True. think we would say you could murder. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess just an interesting verb choice, but you're right. Point taken. Anyway, a murdered rabbit is found on the school grounds with a birthday card for Richard attached. Yowzer. 30 years after a boy named Sean told a lie about a favorite teacher, someone is here to make sure that those lies are punished. Knowing the inspiration, this is bound to be a profoundly psychological type of horror. Yeesh. Yeesh. This is based on the McMartin preschool trials. That's the that's the reference there. I don't know anything about that, and I don't care to. No. Interesting. <laughs> I would say I don't care to, but I'm totally going to Google I that. I know you are. I, know, I can't believe you're still doing this episode. I thought for sure you'd be Googling it. <laughs> uh, number six, the drowning kind, Jennifer McMahon. Uh, As she is going through Lexi's things, Jack finds that she was researching the family and the history of the estate, which has a very dark history indeed. Did you see here up in the description of this book, it says McMahon is the New York Times bestselling author who's been compared very favorably to Shirley Jackson with her twisty and haunting tales. Interesting. Relevant. Number seven, The Mary Shelley Club by Goldie Moldovsky. Rachel Chavez loves horror films because the rules are clear. Don't go to abandoned buildings. Don't split up. Don't make out with anyone when there's a murderer around. Then Rachel's recruited to the Mary Shelley Club, a group of kids who play pranks and put people through fear tests. That sounds like a classic horror trope, doesn't it? It does. I actually just watched a movie called Monster Party where it's about a group of people who are recovering murderers. Recovering? Uh, Yes, so they were a club that murdered people and then they're in, like, rehab for it. But okay. then, obviously. I'm going to, spoiler alert, rehab doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't assume it did, no. <laughs> but that reminds me of it. Uh, number eight, Survive the Night by Riley Sager. Charlie, a, a film-mad college student, is in the car with a guy from her school who is looking for a companion for the drive back to Ohio. As the drive progresses, Charlie begins to feel suspicious of Josh. His story about going home to look after his sick dad doesn't quite add up. Riley Sager is, uh, I wouldn't consider him to be a horror novelist, but maybe that's the direction he's going. Um, I know Eric this year was reading Final Girls, and he seemed to enjoy that one pretty well. And I read one, and I cannot remember, maybe it was Final Girls even that I read, I don't know. I read one about, like, girls at a camp and lies and stuff, and it was more... It was more psychological thriller than horror, so but maybe this one sounds a little bit more murdery. So you know, number nine, Tide Pool by Nicole Wilson. Let's see. In 1913, Sorrow Hamilton heads to Tide Pool, the last known place her missing brother visited. I mean, with a name like Sorrow, you know what I mean? You're kind of dooming. Yeah. It's like you name your kid Jeeves; he's probably going to be a butler. There's, there's few <laughs> paths. You know what I'm saying? It's just like. Yeah. Anyway, I blame the parents. The residents of the town can't give her an answer when she asks about her brother, and the corpse is washed up on the beach, convinced Sorrow to get out of town and send in the professionals. But then she knows the town's deadly secret, and the residents are not inclined to let her leave. Hmm. Okay, take us home, Sally. All right, number 10, My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. Jade is watching the gentrification of her rural town with some trepidation when things take a turn. And she feels as though she is in one of the slasher films that she likes so much. The, he- the town is heading towards catastrophe. There's tension between the residents of the town and the outsiders as tourists go missing in true slasher style. This is one of my major pet peeves in, in anything. Books, movies, TV, whatever. When people are like, this is just like a, and then insert the kind of media that they're in. I hate that. You know, mm. when people are like, well, it's not like this is some dumb horror novel. I hate that. So. It's true. I, you know, you're right, because I do hate it in any horror movie when they're like, in the horror movie, we wouldn't go down here. And it's like, yeah. well, you're, but you are. Yeah. Just shut up. Yeah, sweetheart. <laughs> we, we know. We know. Um, which one of these, Sally, if any, are the ones that, what, what, what spoke to you here? Like, what would be my favorite? Um, probably the horror anthology. Oh, I okay. Mean, First of all, I love talking women in horror because I think truly I believe that is why I got into horror in the first place is because that's where the good protagonists were for Mm. women. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And my dad got me a book a few years back uh, called Women in Chainsaws. And oh, that's yeah. all about the psychology of women in horror. Yeah. So this sounds like my thing. Mm-hmm. You. Tidepool. I like this. I like the, the, the penultimate one here about mm-hmm. Sorrow Hamilton. I don't know. Something about that just intrigued me. Like she knows the secret. They don't want her to leave. Bodies washing up mm-hmm. on the shore. I liked it. I liked that's it. That's fair. Maybe I'm going to track it down. Have you watched Midnight Mass yet? No. No. I mean, I've, I feel like I've seen all the other Mike Flanagan stuff, Dr. Sleep, Hill House, and Bly Manor, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't quite pull the trigger on that one. Yeah. It just reminds, they. it takes place on an island, yeah. and so there's a lot of washing up of onshore. I found it to be, it's my least favorite out okay. of the three recent ones, but a lot of washing of things up onshore. <laughs> Is it, I see, I tend to avoid scary stuff that goes for like a religious angle like i don't like things that are demony you know or or like horror in that way does it go that route or is that oh yeah scary? oh it does okay all right yeah yeah it's so, like straight catholic priest demon horror <laughs> okay all right so i made the right choice then yeah sounds like you did <laughs> okay all right well uh then i think it's time we get to the lady of the hour let's talk shirley jackson absolutely Okay, well today, Sally and I are going to be talking about The Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House is the fifth of Shirley Jackson's novels that was released. It came out in 1959. It was the first of her books that, like, anybody cared about. The first one that was profitable. And she only wrote one more novel after this. Neil Gaiman has listed it as the scariest book he's ever read. Stephen King has talked about it quite a bit as being a major inspiration. And I think you can kind of see that a little bit in something like The Shining. But Mm -hmm. she wrote countless short stories, several children's stories, including one called Famous Sally, which I feel like you need to figure out what that is and report back. Definitely. She also wrote three memoirs and attended Syracuse University. I did not know that. Yeah. So did Joyce Joyce Carol Oates. So it turns out some real creepers over in Syracuse. I don't know. We do love Joyce Carol Oates. We do. We do. I bought her a tuna sandwich once. We don't have to get into it now. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) Lots of adaptations here. We have a stage version. We have a radio play, two movie versions, and a TV version. Mm -hmm. My introduction to this story was the 1963 film, which was directed by Robert Wise. And what a career on Robert Wise. When you look at the things he did, he did. It's like, you know, Haunting of Hill House, The Sound of Music, The Andromeda Strain, Star Trek, The Motion Picture. Like what? <laughs> how do you how do you track a career like that? Some people are just multifaceted. <laughs> yes. So am I right? Is this is this where you first did have you did you read the book first or did you watch this movie first? I watched that movie first. I watched that movie. So this is my first time reading this book, but I saw that movie when I was like 14 um, and I fell in love with it. That was actually one of the first horror movies that I saw that I really fell in love with was The Haunting. Um, So they dropped the Hill House in the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's unaware of it, but it is a fabulous movie in black and white, really beautifully shot, really well cast. Yeah. It's one that just it stays in the conversation. You know, like when mm-hmm. you're talking about like greatest haunted house movies of all times or greatest horror movies of all time, it seems to get in there, even though I know when we get into the plot of the book, we'll talk a little bit about just what elements of horror are in there. But this has remained a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that has not remained a classic is the 1999 version by Jan yeah. Bond. And he directed Speed 1 and 2. So, I mean, you know, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> Twister. He directed one of the Lara Croft movies, you know, there's a lot of like cinematography and stuff. But this version, first of all, the cast is banana cakes. Yeah. It's yeah. it's <laughs> Catherine Zeta Jones, it's Owen Wilson, it's uh who am I forgetting? What's his name? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. <laughs> I don't know. I mean you when we Sally and I did a, an episode of the Sandorian Life together where we were talking about um, Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales, and you mentioned this movie, you mentioned this nineteen hauntings, <laughs> and you said <laughs> You said, you don't say this very much, but this movie is garbage. (laughs) Would you you care to expound on that, Sally? I mean, I do just think it's garbage. It's, the graphics in it are just awful. I mean, it's everything that's wrong with like, 
early, late 90s, early 2000s, like, bad <laughs> graphics. They choose the absolute wrong things to focus on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So all the... All the characters have lost all their subtlety, and mm -hmm. they're just, like, these extreme nonsense versions of themselves. Yeah. Um, they try to go for, like, the cheap scares, so they, like, replace a lot of the subtlety with these, like, weird ghostly figures and stuff. It's there. It's there is There is one jump scare with the fireplace. You know the part I'm talking about? Yes, there's, I do. There's a jump scare where they're, like, digging around in some ash. That was the one place where I was like, God! And the rest of the time, I was just like, oh, my gosh. Okay, we get it. You, you figured yep. out how to do mediocre computer animation. Yep, yep. It's, so it's like it's not scary at all. And, no. like, the characters, I like all of those actors. All of those actors oh, individually yeah. are great. But they're all headliners, and you put them in an ensemble movie, and it's like, I guess the actress who plays Eleanor, I mean, she still kind of remains the focal point, but she's also, like, the least dynamic in there yeah. and so it's kind of like it's a very uneven movie i think because of that yeah. and it really just kind of fails on all levels in my opinion no i agree well and i i remember like so theodore has always been my favorite character yeah and i like Catherine zeta jones i really do but like the version she plays of this character is right. the most like sexed up version right. you could possibly imagine and it takes like all of the interesting like subtleties of the character yeah. and just obliterates them yeah so yeah it's garbage it's garbage <laughs> yeah no i i agree with you i don't have anything positive to say about that uh and then finally there was the netflix show by mike flanagan yes and i did like that i i don't know again that they nailed the ending there but i was really invested in that show yeah and then my... that was that was genuinely scary to me like as it went along I agree. Well, so I watched that and I really enjoyed it. And I, my, then my wife and I watched it together and we got into a, a long argument about the ending mm. <laughs> because I don't love it. Like, yeah. I don't think it's as good as the original, but I didn't hate it. And she hated it. <laughs> like, I just think she, it, I just think it doesn't hold water. There's a lot of yeah. questions about like, so then who is the villain and what, what was the purpose for all that? So, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but I, I, mm -hmm. Maybe I would side with Sarah on that because I would. I just don't, I, I don't know. The yeah. the 90s one was the last one I saw. So that was the only one that mm. I watched after having read the book. Mm. And it's not, a, it's not a good comparison. But well, what did you think of the book? What did you think of the book? Being familiar with the story, like how did you like reading it? Oh, I loved it. It's sort of surprising that I haven't read it up until this it point. It is, yeah. I've the movie for so long. Um, but I guess I always was afraid this was one of those weird instances where I was like, what if the book isn't as good as the movie? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is. Like, it is. So what I think is kind of interesting is the book's characters, you see the Netflix adaptation, the one that's not really the same story, but right. they've taken pieces of it. That you see reflected in here through the psychology of the characters, I feel like, because mm -hmm. there's more time in that mm -hmm. show to sort of unfold them a little bit. But then the story is very similar and just as beautifully told. And I just think her writing is fabulous. Like, yeah. I love her sentence structure, the way she pieces things together. I like the subtlety of it. Mm -hmm. I I think it's great. What do you think? Well, so I had kind of an interesting experience reading it because I had seen the original movie and I'd seen the Netflix one as well. And so I knew I knew the beats of the story pretty well. And so in some ways I was a little like bored is not the right word because it's a, it is a good book and it's well done and you can clearly see all the things that were inspired by it and the way that it kind of changed the genre. But sometimes I think it can be kind of hard to go backwards in that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. We were talking, um, re just here in the library, we were talking a little bit about To Kill a Mockingbird. And that was another one where I have read and watched so many things that are that took a lot of inspiration from To Kill a Mockingbird. When I watched the progenitor, when I watched the original, or read it in, in that case, I felt a little like, yeah, okay, but I've read this a million times, you know? And mm -hmm. I felt a little bit of that with The Haunting of Hill House. I felt like, I know where this is going, I, I get what she's doing. And I think had I read that first or like read that before I had experienced things that take a lot of beats from it, I think I would have liked it a lot more. But here I was more in the position 
of appreci appreciating it for its place in in history and and the the way in which it's written but not so much being caught up in the the characters and the scare of it like it's really hard for me to say whether or not the book is scary does that make sense mm -hmm. no it does make sense it's interesting that those are your two examples like to kill a mockingbird and this because I do think that those are both examples of really well-made film adaptations of those mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. And it is, I mean, it's both a good thing because those are both, I mean, like To Kill a Mockingbird is a phenomenal film. But it does beg the question of, like, it is harder than to go back and read a slower version of that. Yeah. Like, the book is just inherently going to be, like, longer and slower. Yeah. So what does that do? So, no, I think that's interesting. I think the thing that I appreciated most about it is it is it's incredibly simple you know like mm -hmm. it, it is the you know there, it's not like there are big monsters or big like oh and here's a big cataclysmic event that's happening it's really it's kind of a it's it's a slow burn and you can see why it gets compared to like something like the turning of the screw that sort of thing because mm -hmm. it is all about like ratcheting up this tension and and like messing with your expectations and like pushing you to a place where you're just like hand wringing because you need to know like where it's gonna go. And mm -hmm. I think like it's a delicate needle to thread and I think she ob objectively like just does a good job with that. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Well, and a lot of the like actual spooky stuff that happens is very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like you hear a noise and you feel like this is something that is unexplainable, even though you know that it probably could be explained. Mm -hmm. um, or people feel things, or like Theodora feels a hand grab her hand, and I think that's such a creepy image because then there's no hand there. Right. But like that happens all the time to people in regular life where you're like, oh, I thought this thing happened, but maybe it's just my mind playing tricks on me. Yeah. So that kind of unfolding is just really well done. So. Yeah, and I think it also. I like I like when books sort of float in alternate theory because I, there are certain things like the handhold or when they see the ghost family that like you have to sort of acknowledge okay something really supernatural here is happening but I think the book makes maybe an equally strong case that this is coming from Eleanor that like yeah. she is the one who whatever is manifesting these things like they drop hints about her childhood and a lot of the things that happened like having her be the thing that's bringing that out is I think a viable alternative to what's happening in the book. And I just like that, you know, mm -hmm. I like that it kind of lacks a tidiness in that, you know, like you, mm -hmm. you get to the end of the book and you're not like, and here's exactly what happened. You know, it's just sort of like, that was crazy, you know, like the end. And I think that's cool. I like that a yeah. lot. I agree. Well, and I did, I do think the book does a really good job in that. Um, like the film, you understand Eleanor's character to be someone who is very fragile. Um, but I think the book plays a little bit more into like her background and her psychology and why she might be vulnerable, either to have like a breakdown or to be vulnerable to the house's power or like this evilness that ambiguously exists in this place. We I, should mention, I don't know if we need to do a real plot by plot, plot point, but- True, yes. Um, why don't you? you? Give us the broad strokes, will you? Well, the broad strokes are, that there are two women who are have clairvoyant abilities, yeah. Eleanor and Theodora, and they have been asked by basically this fellow, he's a psychiatrist, but also like a cult supernatural interest uh, guy to spend the night or well, spend like a week and a half mm -hmm. um, in this place called Hill House that has a long and sordid past of people dying in it. And they're also accompanied by, like, the heir to the house. Yeah. Um, and there are other characters that come in and out, but basically it's, like, the four of them. The, the couple that comes later, I feel like, was a good thing to delete from adaptations. It really doesn't add much. I agree. I agree. I don't I, know. I, don't, I can't remember their names now, but a, a couple comes later who are kind of interested in the same things. And I don't know if they were meant to be a red herring or just to give the characters somebody else to play off of. But it feels kind of like a, what was that all about? Yeah, I Inclusion. agree. So. Yeah. And it seems a little overdramatic. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the part that doesn't work so much. The creepy caretakers. I mean, that's that's another thing that you have with the Dudleys. And that's present in all all versions of it. I mean, that's a, that's a classic. That's a classic yeah. trope right there. And maybe she's inventing the trope here in this very novel. But 
you know, mm-hmm. you definitely have that. Yeah. I feel like, so in, in the nineties version, Catherine Zeta Jones is just, she's a gay character. I mean, she, she just is. And mm-hmm. I feel like if that was your only, the only version of that you watch, you might assume that that's not present in the novel or the earlier versions, but it definitely is. And I'm just mm-hmm. interested in the fact that that doesn't really seem to have been a thing, you know? Yeah, I am too. Well, and this has long been like in the queer community, sort of a, like people know of it yeah. <laughs> because of that. Like, yeah. you know, if you're gay, especially if you grew up like pre Gen mm-hmm. Z, <laughs> um, you're kind of like, I know everything that has a gay character ever written mm-hmm. <laughs> or like put on screen because it happens so infrequently. And so like, I definitely knew that this, this was like always an inherent character, but even I was a little bit surprised reading it to be yeah. like, oh yeah, like this is an obvious like wink and a nod in the 60s version. And yeah. it's still a wink and a nod in her original writing. Like she wrote this on purpose. Like mm-hmm. this is not an interpretation. This is a and, queer character. You know, it might be enough. There might be enough doubt to sort of be like, oh no, you're just reading into that. You know, like maybe that's the reason why it wasn't, or maybe nobody was paying attention because it was like a horror book. I don't know. But like when you have a woman writing genre fiction, particularly horror, which I think was seen to be, and still is a little bit, you know, seen to be kind of like a trashier thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she's writing a gay character in the 50s, like into that book is, right. is startling, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I I really should do more, like, research on it, because I would be curious. I mean, like, she herself, as far as I know, was not gay. Like, she was married to a man. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any, like writing as far as i know that would like imply that she was queer at all um obviously it's it's almost impossible to like really know these things coming from our time um but i think that's also really interesting and she's writing this in the 50s which is like right around the lavender scare so i just think like what a fascinating tidbit and like thank you shirley jackson (laughs) for writing a really like interesting portrayal of a queer person and i would be interested to know like if it wasn't intentionally to do just that what does it serve in the story you know what i mean like there's there's not a reason why she had to like it's not like oh it only works if this character is gay it's like she did it and it's also like not really a thing within the book you know what i mean like it's not a yeah it's not like nothing hinges on it it's just like she wrote a human because she felt like that's what she wanted the character to be yeah which is like remarkable (laughs) it is it is it was 1959 (laughs) so yeah Yeah. i do feel like if you're if you're a fan of you know if if you read horror if you like spooky books if you're you know a halloween reader or something i feel like haunting a phil house is one that's kind of a necessity, I think, in that. If you're putting together, like, a classic horror library, you need to have Haunting a Phil House. I agree. Yeah, I definitely think so. And after reading it, I'm like, yeah, I absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sally, if uh, if somebody has watched the movie or read this book or something, and this, this is kind of the zone of horror that they like, where might you send them, e- either in book or movies or TV? Like... Pick, pick your poison, whatever you like. Ooh, good question. I mean, so this is, like Nick has sort of said, I think this birthed a lot of, like, what we understand to be, like, classic haunting yeah. movies. So a lot of the best ones, I think, borrow a lot from this. So mm-hmm. you, should, you could watch, like, any number of those, and I think you would get a lot of these vibes. But it did remind me, um, like, Guillermo del Toro's The Orphanage feel, like, very much has this vibe. Okay. Um, and I would say, like, the new Netflix adaptation is definitely worth watching. And it yeah. definitely still has a lot of this vibe. Um, and the characters are really interesting. So that's worth watching. I also think, and it's a little bit, I mentioned American Horror Story earlier. I stand by the first few seasons of that being really solid. And the first season has a lot of this feeling. This okay. question of, like, is the house the evil Is it the history of the people haunting the house that are the problem? And I feel like Ryan Murphy definitely borrowed from this when he Mm. wrote that show because it unfolds in a very similar way. So those are my suggestions. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'll take them. 
Yeah, so I did uh, the Fred and Harriet Taylor Memorial Library in Hammondsport, New York, has a monthly book club. Shout out to all the book club members. Um, and I asked them, <laughs> yeah, woo woo. I asked them uh, if they had any favorite creepy books uh, that they've read or that they're reading now. And these are what they gave me. So Janet said Little Fires Everywhere, which ah. we will actually be reading soon, and is a Hulu show, which is pretty good. Bonnie said The Lottery, which Shirley Jackson short story. There so you go. Perfectly. Barb and Marion said uh, Rosemary's Baby, which I actually did not know was a book. Oh, that's, I think that's Ira Levin who wrote that. Yeah. I, I've read yeah. some of his plays and stuff. Yeah, I felt kind of stupid, but I, like, didn't know that. Jereen said uh, she loves anything Dean Coons. And Anne said that she loves Stephen King and Halloween wouldn't be Halloween without The Shining. So I agree. Classic. I agree. But I those were some great, some great ones. So I've got a couple here from the David A. Howe Library. It's not a competition, but I also have yeah, some you know. from my library. Yeah, uh, it's only not a competition because you know who won. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Chris on Facebook says the Dunwich Horror by Lovecraft and the original Amityville Mm. Horror, which flies off the pages, shiver. Hmm. Joe says Ghost Story by Peter Straub. That is a weird book. That is a weird book and a weirder movie. (laughs) Uh, It had a couple, both Greg and Kevin are recommending Clive Barker, which I've never read. I've never read a Clive Barker. Me neither. So I don't know. Uh, we got a couple of classics here. The Thing at the Foot of the Bed, that was from TR. Mm-hmm. Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Megan says scary stories to tell in the dark. So lots oh. of good lots of good Halloween reads. And we've got a nice big display here. Do you have a display mm-hmm. at your library? I, no. Hmm. But I hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> no wonder you don't want it to be a competition. Uh, fine. Well, we've got lots of kooky, spooky things going on here at the David A. Howe Public Library. We're showing the Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment, which uh, nobody knows about or cares about. So we're going to see if that uh, that gets some interest. Uh, so we're doing that. We've got a Halloween event that's going the day before for kids where we're doing lantern tours of the library. We're doing the Haunting Book Club, which is later in this week. If you're one of those diligent listeners who's listening on the day of release, uh, it's Tuesday. Tuesday is when we're doing that this week. Uh, and then we're also going to show the movie. Lots of cool things going on. And next week, uh, we'll have Sarah Jacoby Murphy on here to talk to me about Dune. So you can decide which of the Jacoby Murphys you prefer. Oh, no. <laughs> definitely smarter than me. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Sally, always a pleasure to hang out with you on Halloween in particular. Thank you. It's but been it's in general. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yes. Okay. And you can catch Sally. Where Where else are you Halloween podcasting this year, Sally? Uh, so I was just on previously on X. I was also on This Endorian Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and then here. So yeah. That's three. Yeah. That's, that's three plus. Three. Plus, this is my annual reminder that if you go directly to our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash all the books, we have a playlist with all of the Halloween episodes we've done in the history of the All the Book Show and House Thing. So it's a pretty chunky playlist at this point, but you can revisit some of the old yeah. classics and you can find them on YouTube as well. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this spooky episode of House Things. Sally, I'm sure I'll see you before then. But, uh, you know, if not, see you next Halloween. All right. Peace. Peace. <laughs>